Welcome to Park Ave Baptist Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Darcy Jarrett, pastor of worship, advocacy, and arts. I'm Himra Chenault, pastor of community engagement and stewardship. And I'm Lanta Carroll, interim pastor of Families in Formation. Park Ave is a bold, inclusive, and creative community where everyone is welcome. We uplift voices and identities that are marginalized elsewhere. We affirm all ethnicities, racial identities, ages, socioeconomic groups, gender identities, and sexual orientations. Because we hold to a theology that refuses to other anyone. At Park Avenue, our leadership model is non-hierarchical. And we practice an open pulpit. Where you will hear a multiplicity of theologically trained voices from different backgrounds, and social locations. We don't just preach and talk about deconstructing systems and structures of power. We We practice it. Through this podcast, we hope you will be inspired, encouraged, and challenged. Listen Listen with with us now. So um, just quickly, when I was um, about 21 years of age, I was kind of gothy in an area in which you could wear uh, Carhartt or Abercrombie. And those were like your two choices. Um, And I've always had this sweet butch swagger, despite um, being pretty attracted to maleness and masculinity. Um, And my father told everybody in our congregation when I was 21 that I was a a Satanist and a lesbian, um, both of which were news to me. Uh, So I just left church. I ended up coming back to church through um, an overdose, kind of a mystical experience was probably the ecstasy, but anyways. Um, long story short, when I went, I went to Southeastern Bible College, which is an Assemblies of God school in Lakeland, Florida. It's in between a swamp and a trailer park, in case you're wondering. Um, but as I was studying scripture and I began to pray and pray about everything, I would just pray these like prayers over my own like sexuality and my own um, desire to connect physically and um and i just began meeting a lot of people that were queer at southeastern which was you know anathema so um and i kept praying and i know this sounds really cheesy and really evangelical but i even wrote in my journal like god give me your heart for lgbtq persons and and that was in a time when you like you didn't say lgbtq if you were in the evangelical world it was homosexual um but i just through studying scripture, it brought me to a place in which I understood that it was completely and totally okay to be gay. Um, it is completely okay to be a woman like myself and to have a strong sexual appetite, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and that you don't have to be informed by society's norms to live a holy life. Similarly to Lanta, I grew up in, um, you know, evangelical southern non-denom which is like baptist but with better branding um and you know i learned that uh you know sex was done one way fast forward 12 years of ex-gay therapy trying to undo my own homosexuality tm um by the time i finally was able to uh, embrace my queerness it was like that broke open the questions about everything else because it was kind of like okay well if i was wrong about this what else am i wrong about um, and so I just, I kind of applied the same um, hermeneutical lens, which just means how I look at the Bible, the same questions to everything else. Like, you know, how do I know this? Why do I believe what I do? Um, and by asking those questions um, and, you know, studying queerness and like letting the Holy Spirit speak however the Holy Spirit wants to speak to me, 
it was the same thing. Like God is trying to break down every single boundary between us and God. And so if, and I think that also includes in our sex lives. And so um, as I opened up a little bit more in that regard and, you know, uh, began having, you know, intimate sexual experiences with other people, uh, I have gotten closer to God because I now I'm not approaching it with shame or uh, sadness or anything like that. It's a lot more healthy. I like it. I'll say a little something. I think in my own, so my granddad is an evolutionary biologist. So I grew up around evolution, right? Like I stay with granddad and he puts a white sheet on the clothesline at night and puts a big spotlight on it. And an hour later, there's all these bugs all over it. And he throws the sheet on the table and he's talking about this species of cricket evolved in this way. And these are connected and like, this is only in this region. So I like grew up with the evolutionary biologist who like raised me in a lot of ways. And so I really do believe in evolution and the evolution of ideas, of thoughts, of concepts. I think that the central, one of the central messages I get from scripture is that you're always growing, you're never staying the same, um, always evolving. And so I think that I was lucky to grow up in a house, and even though I grew up Southern Baptist, my family, even in that context, was committed to always growing and learning and, and evolving. And so I feel like my, my parents and I both kind of like evolved and grew together, because I went on the True Love Waits retreats, like as a middle schooler. I still have the letter written to my future wife. <laughs> about how I would wait for her and I like, you know, and I'll give it to my husband one day. <laughs> but the, I had to evolve in that. It, I, I know some people have these like really illuminative experiences when they have a new translation of scripture, or a new way that they think about theology. But so much of my own growth was seeing models it was not so much getting a new interpretation given to me. It was a new mentor. It was a new model. It was a new community that I was, I could literally see, oh, you can cohabitate before marriage and be like a faithful minister in the community doing like amazing work. Like, whoa, I didn't know you could do that. I had to see models of uh, different ethics for me to start growing and evolving in my own thought. So I think that's my process. I'll share um, just from the perspective of someone who wasn't very religious and then accepted Christ. And so I was like radical, non-monogamous, like in the early 2000s. And then in coming to Christ, thought I had to shelve all of that and, and actually assumed a purity standard for myself. Real, looking back on it, and I, I love this idea of development, process, growing, and also growth is a spiral. It's not a straight line, right? So me having come into the church, come to Christ, took a step toward restrictiveness and thought that that's what the church required of me. And looking back on it, it was because I was many things, um, not the least of which a token where I was. And so I thought I had to prove, um, I thought I had to prove at all moments that God could be seen through me. 
um, through righteousness. So, in all of that, with this with this um, with this history, right? That said, you know, that that told me that I was impure. So I, I impose these standards on myself um, at a later age, you know, having having read The Ethical Slut and having had a very liberative perspective on sex. So I just say that to say, you know, it doesn't have to be, it's not something always that's imposed on us. I think it can be self-imposed. Um, and I think it's rooted in shame. And, um, and so repenting of shame is, is the perspective I took during this sermon series. That's good. So um, I grew up in a context where I think once I received like, okay, these are the rules and these are the guidelines and here's my box and I'm really good at following all the rules and staying in the box. Um, I uh, had, you know, inklings from a young age that like, I don't think I'm quite what everyone thinks I'm supposed to be, like a little bit bisexual, um, but you know, wasn't able to come to that until much later in life. But I was like, uh, I was very passionate about church and I loved Jesus so much, and I, I mean, I still do, but you know, at that point it was a different kind of uh, much more fundamentalist <laughs> love, and I was very passionate about that, so I loved to tell everyone what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to, you know, I was, I was that human who was like, this is, this is how we live, and so um, I fully believe that each person that we meet is a reflection of the divine. Everyone is created in the image of God, and the more people we meet, the more we understand what that picture looks like. And throughout my life, I can look at so many different people who walked into my life who showed me a more full picture of what God could want for our lives, what love and joy and happiness look like in relationship and different types of relationships. And each of those people opened up a little bit more in me to recognize my own sexuality, to recognize my own uh, desires, and then especially what led me to this sermon series was meeting sex workers and becoming friends with them and understanding what their life was and what their journey was and how that opened me up to a, a whole new world, cue Disney soundtrack, of what, of what uh, affection and intimacy could look like and how spirituality plays into that. But I truly believe each of those, picture, each of those people formed that larger picture for me the little threads, as we said in my Baptist Collegiate Ministries, uh, many threads, a God-woven tapestry, and you know, to understand that more full picture. I think it's really beautiful to note, hearing each of your responses to that, that as we interact with other people, as we have different conversation partners, as we're exposed to new resources and ideas, um, it's our relationships that inform our spiritual priorities. Um, each of us, no matter what context you're in, each practitioner of faith kind of sets these priorities for how they're going to interpret scripture, how they're going to walk out faith. And it's as we enter into relationship with folks who challenge us, who maybe don't look like us, or maybe who do look like us, and we've been avoiding that reality. Um, it's those relationships that cause us to prioritize, whether it's belonging or inclusion or these, these elements that are found in scripture that can be used to really constitute a family. Um, I just think that that's really fascinating. I would like to ask each of you, and I'm gonna open up to you people, um, what forms of intimacy are sustaining you right now? 
Can I also say that we are recording this, we're going to re-release our podcast of sermons, and it's going to start with this sermon series. So maybe in this round of answering questions, we can just say our names if we want to begin, so then the world will know. So your name, get it, Kevin. Your name, and then what forms of intimacy are sustaining you presently? My name is Beck Cranford, and I like sex. Yeah. Uh, Woo. Sex is uh, sustaining me. Um, I have a deep prayer life. Uh, I am kind of a mystic sort of Bapticostal. Um, pray in tongues a lot, cuss a lot as well. That sustains me. Um, I have few close relationships. Uh, I'm an eight on the Enneagram, and I think I have a big fear of uh, vulnerability. Um, and I feel like I had to be strong all the time. So, um, but I do have some deep relationships where we can talk about all things God and sex and flaws and hurts and yeah. I won't, I won't put you on the spot. I'm Keith. Uh, practices of intimacy. I think for a while that has looked like poetry for me. Um, in, my sermon, in my sermon last week, I talked about uh, one, a rabbi who says you have to get married twice, once under the, the hoopah when you say your vows, and then a second time in crisis when you have the chance to leave and you say, no, I'm going to stay and figure out what this new thing looks like. And that's when the marriage begins. And the rabbi says you have to do that to Torah and you have to do that with God when God fails you. And so I think in my own life with illness, sickness, traumas, crises, the point when, I'm just going to say it the way I feel it, when scripture failed me, the point when God failed me, I was confronted with this like second marriage question. Am I going to leave? And I really kind of did for a while. Um, or am I going to stay? And I ended up staying and I think I stayed because of communities like this, where it was okay to say, yeah, I'm kind of dwelling in the absence right now. Like, that feels more real to me than the presence. And that is the language of poetry. The gaps and the absences are illuminative. Like, the longings and desires that you can't quite fit in, like, that is literally what poetry is for. It is not narrative. It is not linear. It does not resolve. And so poetry as a genre, not only is it flooded in our scriptures, but the poets of our ancestors have really connected me to, to finding God in absence, to, to letting the, the lack and the longing and the God-forsakenness draw me into something beyond myself. So I'm reminded of the poet Rilke, who's all about deconstructing our images of God. And so on All Kings Sunday in the church, Rilke writes the poem, We must not dress you in king's robes, you drifting mist that brought forth the morning. And Rilke says in another poem, he says, You are a herd of luminous deer, and I am dark. I am forest. And so I think about all these poets. Uh, Hafez, I quoted this in my sermon last week. He says, do not surrender your loneliness so quickly. Let it cut more deep. Let it season and ferment you as few things can. Something lacking? 
and my soul tonight has made my eyes so clear and my need for God abundantly clear. Come on, preacher. So I think about poetry. Yeah. So I practice. I keep a book of poetry. I always have a book of Mary Oliver and a book of someone else right by my bed, and I'm committed to reading a poem a day. And so on, on the days where like the doubt or the disbelief is stronger than the belief and the assurance, I look at all the ancestor poets that say, yeah, me too. And we can be in community together and still seek what the divine looks like in what appears to be absence of this world. So my, my practice would be poetry. And I find in that it's like the homesickness of like the lover you can't get to. Like, that's the intimacy of, like, the longing that I can't quite get to it. And there's intimacy in leaning into that. So. How in the name you. of Jesus. Oh, How dare you. Can't help but preach. Oh, that was beautiful. That was beautiful. So what, has, what kind of things are sustaining you right now? I know. Nothing that deep. Wow. That was beautiful. <laughs> I, I'm Darcy Jarrett. I'm one of the pastors here. This artist is um, so inspiring. And I think what's sustaining me, I think at certain times I would have said my own creative practice is sustaining me, but I think it's actually others' creative practice right now that is sustaining me. Um, having experiences with artists, um, creating together, that is um, a practice that I have just fallen deeply, deeply in love with, and the idea of creativity being this divine surprise. So that moment when you're thinking about something, and the ideas are swirling, and, and hopefully I'm in a group when this happens, and I think I usually am, and, and, and suddenly something clicks, and the group is thinking together, and we see something together. We see a vision of, of what is the solution to our to our thought, or, or even just a, a, a picture, a snapshot of the divine. Um, I think of that because of what you said, so thank you for pointing me again toward creativity. Also, I would say as a person who, like I said, was a radical queer for longer than I've been a Christian, I find so much comfort and love in monogamy and I'm just coming out, I'm a monogamist, it's cool. Um, we really, my partner and I had to have that conversation like on one of our first dates, it was like, okay, so I'm not Polly. I figured that out through getting really hurt, but the, the idea of, of being loved and known by one person so like deeply is, really fulfilling to me. Um, and it's just Christ's love shown to me over and over again, because I'm like this secretive person in general. I, I, I'll show you like all of these sides, but I'm a Scorpio. So like I got all these other sides over here um, that I'm often carrying shame about. And so in a, in a, in a one person intense relationship, um, those things come out and, and I'm loved with those things, and those things, um, yeah, they, they don't carry shame with them now. So, um, yeah, monogamy, woohoo. We love it. <laughs> Hi, my name is Kevin Miguel Garcia. My preferred pronouns are they, them, theirs. And what is sustaining me right now is, um, it's what I'm calling 
what I'm calling radical honesty. And like for what that for what that means for me is the following: a, being able to name all of my emotions and feelings and owning them for myself, not saying that you caused me to feel this way. It's like no, I feel this way about what is happening, and I own my emotions. Two. One, two. She's, um, Mike's done. Um, two is um, naming my needs and always knowing that I am the person responsible for getting my needs met. Um, because I can express those needs to a partner, a friend, a lover, whatever, even to God. And then at the same time, knowing that at the end of the day, like, if I'm not getting my needs met, like, that's a question. Okay, well, what am I going to do about it? Um, and the third thing is I'm always okay with asking for what I want because I'm always okay with hearing no. Um, and that for me has really freed me in a way to not be so scared of anything or anybody. It's like I can hold every relationship you know, firmly, but also knowing that this relationship doesn't belong to me. Like this person does not belong to me. I belong to me and I belong to God, and vice versa. And so I think that practice has done um, a lot for me, and so in a lot of my work, um, I, I encourage other people to do the same and really get to the core of like, what do you want? What do you desire? What do you love? What do you like? What do you need? Um, and then being able to just be so honest with that. Um, and yeah, that means it's a, uh, it's a lot of vulnerability, and I'm editing myself in real time because we're in a good church right now. <laughs> Um, but it, 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 like, it's a level of vulnerability, trust, and honesty that I've never experienced before. And because of that, like, uh, I'm, I'm now in a relationship with someone officially. Coming out. I'm coming out as in a relationship. And also, um, we are non-monogamous, and that's something that I asked for. Um, and I said, hey, like, this is just part of my story and part of my desire. And he's like, yeah, sounds cool. I'm like, great, sounds cool. <laughs> And so we're still exploring what that's gonna mean for us. He's like also like long distance because why would I ever date someone in my own city? Um, but it's, um, it's good. It's that radical honesty that's really led me to this place. Amen. Uh, I'm Lanta Carroll, she, her, hers, also one of the pastors here at Park Ave. Um, what's, keep, what's stirring right now for me is a quote from Barbara Brown Taylor. Sometimes we just need to stand naked in front of the mirror and say, this is my soul's address. Mm. And that for me has like, I loved it before I was married and a mom and all of these things, but now on the other side of that, like, whoa. Um, giving gratitude for my body and the ways that it has uh, journeyed with me through uh, a C-section, y'all. That is not fun. <laughs> I don't wish it on anyone. Uh, but, you know, also the, the gift of nursing my daughter. And, mm. like, every month has looked so different for me in the past two years. Like, crazy. So just giving gratitude for my body and what it has carried me through and how God has carried me through that, too. Mm -hmm. um, this is my soul's address. And like, you know, the changes that our bodies take and the different forms that they have in different seasons of life, um, that really speaks to me. Also from like a physical intimacy perspective, I mean, there's nothing more nurturing and sustaining to me than like 
the head of my daughter on my shoulder in the mornings and she does these little like mommy and like just like <laughs> sounds it out differently and like those are our mornings together and of course a lot of like <laughs> she's also very strong-willed so like changing diapers and like literally having to like almost feel like I'm doing a force hold to change those that's some other stuff too but all of these intimate moments with my child uh, that you know I can pause and give thanks for it's just a very different season of life um, sitting on my back porch and looking up at a tree and drinking a cup of coffee and mm. being still, like those moments are also very grounding to me. Mm. Um, I don't know, I think, and y'all heard me say this in my sermon, but I think when we branch out on what intimacy means that it's so much more than just sex and just physicality. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, how do we connect with our own bodies and listen to them, listen to the longings of our soul um, there's also a John O'Donohue poem. Keith got me in the poem world too. Uh, Blessed be the longing that brought you here and quickens your soul with wonder. I don't know. I, I, this type of language that just brings so much stirring to just pause and enter into every moment and every mm -hmm. space with gratitude and trying to be as fully present as we can be. Like we don't get that moment back. Um, so I'm really trying to, to ground myself with that. And honestly, uh, my role as a mom has really been informative in how to like recognize and give thanks for the moment that's right there, knowing that I'm not getting it back. And he now all of a sudden mm. I have a 19-month-old in front of me and like, what the hell, where did, where did the little infant go? You know, that kind of stuff um, is really informative. And also just watching the way that she connects with her father and my husband is really sweet too. So like, how, how is that not informative to me from an intimacy perspective right now? Yeah. Thank you. Um, romantic relationships are amazing and wonderful and can give us so much, but I think as the years go on, I'm much more in tune with the blessing of platonic intimacy. Yes. And that like, what a gift it is. Sometimes as uh, recently, I had a, a good friend who we found out has cancer and watching the community rally around that individual and we're rallying from this perspective of we are together in this we can hold each other we can cry we can be physically present we can have these very intimate moments where we're dealing with very fragile topics and fragile things but what a beautiful thing it is to be together and um, community is like my the hill i die on like we need it we need each other and we're given a script from a very young age, especially those of us who grew, might have grown up in more purity culture, evangelical culture, um, with those words around us, but like one day you're gonna find a husband and he is gonna cherish you for the rest of your life and he will be your everything and write a letter to him and all of these things. And, but it's just like, oh my God, like one person cannot be everything I need for the rest of my life. Like that's just not realistic. And so to understand that you know, romantic relationships can be so meaningful and they can fill, you know, they can fill something within us, but we have access to other, so many other communities and so much other support. And we have to look outside of these traditional models that we've been given in these scripts to understand that sometimes we need like physical touch and we need physical intimacy among, among friends, among community. And um, we see that happen you know, on the floor of someone's apartment or in this room, you know, there are different communities that can fill those needs. And over the years, um, I've just felt so 
blessed by that overwhelming presence of like, I got a lot of cool people in my corner and I can be, you know, with, they can be with me and I can be with them and they can be significant others, you know, that there are, there is no just one significant other. Many people can Say be that. significantly other in your life. So that's the intimacy that's currently sustaining me. Hey, Lindsay, who are Say you? Your name, yeah. Oh, I'm Lindsay Huggins. Hi. <laughs> Reverend Lindsay Huggins. Oh, sure. The Reverend. <laughs> the very right Reverend. Um, we're going to open it up to you good folks who have been so patient and sitting and listening. Um, if you have a question for our panel, it can be a sexy question. It could be a churchy question. Uh, raise your hand and I will come to you. That way you can speak into the mic and be recorded for the podcast. Shout out to someone for actually having a cue because sometimes... You know, there's like, is there a question that's like, no one's, no one's there. Um, I, I guess I wanted to give an affirmation, though. Um, it's helpful to, like, hear people talk about, um, like, intimacy outside of sex, because um, I think that one thing that really makes me angry about, like, the current wave of sex positivity is the assumption that everyone has easy access to sex and that everyone is um, desired in the same way when like there is a lot of like politics around like who gets desired and who gets partnered and who gets like you know who's seen as too difficult um, and as someone who is often seen as too difficult by a lot of people it's not easy for me to find safe relationships and so just um, like being able to hear people talk about the ways that they find like intimacy through like things like poetry, like that really um, resonated with me because like it's, you can't really be close to people if you're not safe and if you don't trust people um, to listen to you and to see you when people are already on to the next thing, when people aren't willing to be vulnerable with you back, when people aren't willing to be brave with you, and you're left to be the person who's brave for everyone, like every fucking other person. They don't Say see it. you as a whole person. It's just like, it's insulting to like have people like be like, well, you're such a great person. You're such a like, you're such a good this, you're such a good this, you're such a good this, why would someone like you be single? It's just like, well, maybe it's because people elevate you or like put you on a pedestal or like, you're so brave, I can't be like that. It's just like, you can be, it, like, we're all the, we're like, like it's in all of us, we can, so it's, I don't know, I think I just wanted to really affirm that because it is hard like coming into listen to stuff about sex and like just bracing yourself and like feeling small because it's just there is this assumption that like or sometimes it feels like everyone's having sex all the time and then it's just like what's wrong with me um i don't even feel safe enough to even like be in a relationship with most people because most people don't even see me and accuse me of never saying anything when i do say things so it's um so thank you for not making it all about sex. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for that. And also, it's like, that's very real. It's like, there's this assumption that everyone's out there having sex. Why aren't they having sex with me? Like, what's wrong with me? And then it just, constant deconstruction of like, what we think 
is standard, what we think is like, you know, it's like almost like for so many of us, like the purity culture has gone like kind of like in the swing in the opposite direction. I'm just like, if you're not poly and you're not having sex, then you're bad and you're dumb and you're repressed. But that's not true. It's like you're just a human living in the world having an experience like anybody else. And love is so much bigger than we were taught it was. Love is so much more expansive and the meaning of that. And it's just like, it is not the end of a Disney movie. That is not the end mm. of love. That is not the ultimate goal. You haven't leveled up because you've gotten there. Love is so much bigger. Yeah, I found that so refreshing in this, in this sermon series. And actually, I didn't get to say this to Keith in person, but I did think after Keith's sermon, though, that it was the first time maybe that many people left church and went and had sex. <laughs> because it was so just fall in love with, with, with the word. And it was, I mean, even the, phys like that's not important, the physical aspect of it, but just, it, it made me feel alive to talk about God like that. I meant to text that But to, to counter that, I left and did not have sex, so. <laughs> Not everybody does. Right. <laughs> Thoughts, questions? I just, uh, I, I quickly want to say for most of my life, sex was never safe for me. And I was, uh, things were put in every hole of my body by over 30 grown men before I was eight years of age. So I had a big F off on my forehead towards uh, every man that approached me and did not ha know how to build uh, intimate relationships, yet at the same time was sexually addicted. So that was really a hard space for me to be as a woman because in most evangelical places, you know, women are pure and we have this notion of women as a dichotomy. They're either Mary the Virgin or they're the misrepresented Mary Magdalene, which we know historically she was not a hooker. So it's like those two things. So to be a woman and to have a sexual appetite, but to have never known safe touch was a long process for me. So it, it's finally, I have finally come to my life and I'm 42 years of age. When I was 40, I found someone that I could be naked with and be completely Beck Cranford, who is uber butch and feel safe uh, with a man whose touch was not harmful. So while that is my trauma, there are many of us who have been hurt by touch, and I hope that we all go on to be healed by touch, but every person's process looks different. And then I have so many friends, which is a very small minority when we look at sexuality as a whole, who are asexual. And they've told me time and time again, why does the church think that I'm a second-class citizen? Those persons are not second-class citizens, even so much so that Paul lifted up those who may, we may kind of have a misnomer and place asexuality on them, but they were able to serve the church in many ways that those who had families and relationships did not. So I think when we have discussions of sexuality, we have to realize that some of us have been hurt. I think the latest statistics I've read is that four out of seven children in America have been touched inappropriately before the age of five. And then we also have to remember those who are asexual. Thank you. Amen. Okay, 
so um, my name is Sarah, and I've, I think it's Kevin, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so I have a question for you. So I'm a type 8, too, which, and I hate being hurt or being vulnerable. And so how do you react with your, like, openness to know when that brings hurt and when that, ba like, brings pain? Like, what do you turn to and, like, what do you look for? Say that for me one more time. I'm, I want to make sure I understand your question. So uh, since you're so open to know and vulnerability, what do you mm -hmm. do when that brings pain to your life? Oh, like when, vulner like when I'm vulnerable and I get hurt because of vulnerability. Yeah. Yes, that makes sense. Okay. Um, there is the fear of if I'm intimate with someone, I'm going to get hurt. They're going to betray me. That's the kind of the um, script I was working with for a long time because for many of us our entire life when we were vulnerable, that vulnerability was met with hurt. Um, and so as a defense mechanism, we av avoid intimacy and we avoid vulnerability in order to not be hurt. Totally normal, right? And it also does not lead us towards healing and it doesn't lead us towards getting stronger. So I think it really just comes with good boundaries. Like if I'm intimate with someone or if I'm sharing my life with someone, whether it's sexually or otherwise, um, I want to, and it, they hurt me for whatever reason. And it's like, okay, that's data for me. I know that this person cannot give me what I need. In fact, like, you know, they're like taking something from me. They're like, you know, violating a boundary that I have. So I'm going to change my behavior and like, um, to like, you know, not put myself in a position like that. Now, granted, this is two years, two and a half years of therapy talking. So it's not, it's a practice of like, okay, I understand who is safe to, to allow myself to be open with. Um, I, like Beck, have very few close friendships um, because people are trash sometimes. And so I, people are not trash. People are uh, people and they have their own things they're carrying with them. So whenever I am hurt, um, and I need to forgive. Um, and again, this is, sounds real hooey sometimes, but like I really do have this prayer of just like, you know, whoever you are, I love you, I forgive you, and I release you to the Holy Spirit. And that is what I have to pray over and over again because my forgiveness is not for their sake, it is for me to be set free from my own anger towards what happened um, and towards the person who may or may not have allowed themselves to hurt me. So I... Um, I try to lean into that, the presence of God that I know is with me at all times and just say, like, Holy Spirit, change my mind about this. Change my mind. And also, subsequently, do not let this one interaction of pain limit me from engaging with intimacy again. Because just as much as it is true that vulnerability can bring pain, it's also true that vulnerability can beget love. And deep, so it's like the, the equal and opposite is true is that if we're always closing ourselves off, we will never experience intimacy. But if we open ourselves up, there's an opportunity to meet God. Come on, somebody. I think I just wanna, for a second, affirm that in our dear friend Kevin, because I've been friends with Kevin for three years now. Um, and I think what you're kind of pointing at is the fact that growth requires risk. You have to risk in order to grow, but it's about making smart risks, right? So like if you do dumb stuff and expect good stuff to happen, that's not cute. Mm. But if you take the risks that can pay off in your growth, in your um, becoming more vulnerable, it bears a lot of good fruit. And that's a human who's been doing the work. So that's worth celebrating. I want to echo that. The Kevin Garcia is doing such amazing work in the world. I just came from a national conference where no fewer than five people 
literally knew themselves better because of this human and, and came to a Christian-esque type conference because they were able to say, I, I am worthy. And, and so much of that work is what you do. So this is coming from a person who really puts themselves out there, really puts themselves out there. Um, thank you. TheKevinGarcia.com. Tiny revolution. Um, not to go back to Enneagram 8s, because I know we're all different in this space, but just so you all know, Enneagram 8s, uh, it's all about us. We can't be narcissistic, but I think at our best, we're, we're champions for those that have been pushed down because we, I, we also identify with the underdog or the misfit. Uh, and we have a tendency to be protective uh, and to have a very... Um, black and white sense of justice, if that makes sense, and to get really offended on behalf of another people group. Um, but in that, I think when eights open up their vulnerability and um, allow others to come in, they can really help establish others to be safe, to be authentic. Hello. Um, I just want to say how healing it has been to be a part of this sermon series and have folks who are essentially in positions of authority be on stage saying things inside of a church building. Um, that really means something, and it's really been so healing for me to uh, have these conversations be had and the words that y'all have said. Um, I remember one week I came in late because I was having sex, and, yes! I, <laughs> and I, I came to church and I was like, wow, I, I wouldn't have done this a few years ago. I would have stayed at home in shame, and then to come here, have the sermon series happen, it was just like, it was good. It was good, um, and so I'm just kind of curious, you know, as someone who's new to this community and is going to be in this community, um, I just wonder, I'm wondering how we can cultivate more of these conversations and safe spaces, brave spaces, whatever to have these, these places where we can deconstruct what doesn't serve us anymore, yeah. you know, and keep exploring what does it mean to be queer or not queer, or what does it mean to be monogamous, non-monogamous, whatever. Um, how can we keep cultivating that, and kind of what is the trajectory for PABC in that? Well, one thing I will say is, slowly but surely, we're bringing together our community home groups. Um, you know, if you've been around Park Ave for a little bit, you know that we've been transitioning a whole lot in the past year. Um, transition, we're always transitioning. Uh, always, you know, Sempra Reformata or whatever. It's always reforming. Um, but we're, we're starting to get together home groups and community groups, so that's one thing. Two, I would suggest karaoke church on Wednesday nights. It's what I call it, but like Daniel invited a bunch of us out over the summer to come sing karaoke on Wednesdays at Beer Growler. And all my friends are there on Wednesdays. So like, everyone's invited, come sing a song, come get a beer. Uh, there's really talented people and there's people who love singing. <laughs> and so if, you're, if you fall into one of those two categories, you're definitely welcome. Um, I think that uh, just having a space like that to come together and be our authentic selves is uh, a way for us to cultivate that. And my hope, like, hey, if you wanna start a, if you wanna start a group where we talk about whatever, relational ethics, how we're doing it, or just coming together and talking about what we're going through. Like, that's life. So soon and very soon is the answer, I think. It's also great feedback for us to hear that this is a helpful process. I think yes. this is something we haven't really done much of. Yeah. And so having kind of a talk back space after sermon series 
is I think an easy, if, if people are enjoying it, this is something that we could do easily. I agree. I, um, yeah, and I think Daniel has been a part of cultivating a space um, where we share, really share our pulpit, we share our pulpit even wider, right? Um, we've been in transition. We used to have six pastors. So there were six distinct, diverse voices from up here. And now we're smaller and, and mighty, three pastors. And we want to open up that voice. We have so many people that are theologically trained and getting theologically trained. And we're committed to deconstructing theology that, that harms theology that others. And so we hope that this type of getting a group together, we did a brainstorming session before we started this sermon series. We invited worship leaders in on it. We invited all of our voices to the table and cultivated a, a message from each of us, what, what was on our hearts, what was speaking to us. And I think that creativity, that creative process is liberative. It is the, the, the pedagogy that, that says the answers are in the room. And so I hear this answer from the room that we want more spaces to talk about gender stuff, to talk about our specific affinities, right? Um, our identities, and there are so many of them. And so one thing I wanna name is that this group of preachers does look really white. Um, and, and that's something that we, we want to change, we want to grow, we want to expand. And as our community grows, expands, changes, I just wanna let our community know that that's something that is on our minds and affirming is not restricted to LGBTQ identities, gender identities. This is um, black identity. This is your brown identity. This is your indigenous identity. And so we're hoping to really just keep amplifying and, and magnifying those voices. I don't think I answered your question, but. I would add to that, like what's the next sermon series you want to hear and tell us? Because that, that helps inform us to like create the next series. Yes, 100%. Ooh. I'll put a poll on that. I'm sorry. Oh, we'll, no. poll, we'll put a poll in the next email. Woo! <laughs> you sign up for the email? Yes, sign up for the yeah. emails. <laughs> um, one thing, too, that I think um, Lanta deserves a shout out for is someone who works with our kids, and a lot of us here who work with our kids, is we try to start very young by talking about, like, not introducing some of the same shame-based theology that a lot of us might have gotten. So we tell our kids from the time they're old enough to hear it, you are loved, you are whole, you are made good. And starting with that message and working our way up to what does consent look like, what does openness look like, what does vulnerability look like, you know, building up those building blocks, and then working with our parents, too, to say, hey, you know, you might not have had the best sex talk with your parents, how can we do it better with our kids? You know, how can we, how can we talk to our kids in a way that is more holistic and healthy and truly holy? You know, so starting from the youngest up through those of us who are still working through some of maybe those messages that we got when we were younger. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, hello. Hi. <laughs> um, I have a question. Uh, what, okay, so for somebody like me who is freshly questioning sexuality and things like that for myself. Um, fresh question, fr yes. Um, I like that, I'm gonna take that with me. Um, what do you, I guess, how do you deal with questions that are being asked of you and then also questions that you're asking yourself, like 
what if I'm wrong? What if like, you know, like all those kinds of things? Because we've had this conversation before. This is Brie. Um, and like, how do you know that it's okay? And how do you speak that over yourself in those times of questioning and fear, I guess? And like, yeah. Yeah. I got you. The one I want to hone in on is like the one fear that I have heard across so many different folks who like are queer and people of faith trying to struggle with that question of like, what if I'm wrong? What if all of the evangelicals and the Southern Baptists and my mama, my daddy is rat about, uh, is rat, exactly, about sexuality and marriage and all that stuff. Um, this is something that I take a lot of comfort in is that um, I do not pretend to know anything for in absolute certainty. It's like, I have an idea about God and I'm pretty sure, I'm like 99% sure about that God is love, right? And so I always want to come back to that. Like, you know, what is, what is these, what was the fruit of my actions? If my actions, you know, say, you know, I want to try having casual sex because I am a sexual being and I want to try that. And it produces these feelings of just like, ooh, I don't like this. Or like, ooh, like, I wish it were something more then that's data for you to say, hmm, maybe this behavior is not producing good fruit in my life, and so maybe monogamy is my thing. Maybe, like, you know, having sex with one person or um, around anything else, around just having sex with, a with your partner. It could be like, well, like, what is this producing? Is this producing shame? But I know that this isn't shameful, and I actually like it in the moment, but I feel shame later, so what's really happening? It's all about getting under the questions, and so it's kind of, I always I say, like, believe your own data. You know, if you are, like, you know, with your partner and things are good and it's giving you joy in life, believe that. And if it's got, like, if, you know, if it's causing these, because, like, you know, what is it? Uh, perfect love drives out all fear. And I just want to keep coming back to this feeling of, like, I am loved, I am loved, I am loved. And the way I love is good. And who I, and how I love is good. Um, I think it's kind of just, like, reinforcing that because in the same way, that I believe that I could be wrong about something, so could everybody else. So could every single one of those evangelical non-affirming voices to tell me that I'm a sinner going to hell because I'm an abomination or whatever. Sure, they, they, could be, they could be right. I don't think they're right. And so I take comfort in the fact that I believe that God is love is love is love. And so it's like, you know, it, it allows me to hold it with an open hand and I think it also gives an interesting entry point into conversations with people who are less affirming. So it's, for me, it is returning to the fruit of my actions, and it is um, continuing to remind myself of my identity in Christ, <laughs> to, put it, to put a spin on it. I want to say I really appreciate that. I think self-doubt is a gift. Mm. It's a gift that those of us who have been on the margins um, in in every way, any way, theologically, um, in our gender identities, in our sexualities, in our racial identities, in our um, affinities even, self-doubt is a gift. Our faith has pushed us toward assuredness, assuredness. Um, that's, I think, even why the question of heaven and hell is, is, so, is so prevalent. What if, and I think that this is something we teach from a young age and I try to teach to my son, what if the questioning and the 
doubt is where we find comfort? And what if the mystery is where we find comfort? That quote that you just said, uh, say, you know which one I'm talking about? The, I am a, uh, a mist. Why put a cloak on the mist? What did you say? Please help me with my words. Uh, I know what was it? We must not robe you in king. Or we must not dress you in king's robes, you drifting mist that brought forth the morning. Oh my gosh, God! What if that was like the most comforting thing that we could think of? And so I can say to the visitors that come back, who were members of this congregation when it was a white Baptist um, church, come back and they say and they question me, and I and I can say, how big is God that God can be that for you, and it can be this for you, and it can be this for you, and it can be in the middle of everything, and and. And I think we've been in this moment of transition. And, and what if transition is where we should stay? And I think, obviously, I'm, bi I'm a non-binary trans person. I love that middle. Let me come out to you today and tomorrow and the rest of the days. And, and what if that's comfortable? What if that isn't? What if, what if adolescence isn't uncomfortable? What if it's exactly where God meant us to be all along? Um, that reminds me, uh, Jesse and I were just in a talk about decolonizing pastoral practice at Emory. And one of the traits of decolonizing work uh, that I learned from my mentor, who's from Ghana, studies post-colonialism, decolonizing theology. And one of the shout traits of... Shout out to Dr. Latte. Shout out to Dr. Latte. But one of the traits of decolonizing work is polyvocality. Right, so Jesse and I were literally talking earlier how so many churches are really just a cult of personality, right? It's centered around one central figure and one central voice. And if we want, and, and honestly, that is the way that we have been handed in white Western America. Like that's our pattern for churches, for institutions, for the state, et cetera. And to decolonize that is not moving to a different voice, it's moving to polyvocality. So I think about the Talmud, which is the Jewish scripture where a bunch of rabbis are debating. Basically, rabbis are contributing commentary to the Torah. And in the Talmud, there are over 500 arguments, but less than 50 resolutions, which shows to me the point of the thing, the point of the community and the faith is this community of argument where we just keep arguing with our ancestors. We try to be a good ancestor and hopefully our kids and grandkids will argue with things we say, and the arguments, the searching, the discerning draw us in. To me, that's why I ultimately I'm like, yes, circle leadership model. Like, yes, polyvocality. No one person has all the answers. And as soon as we think we do, like, we missed it. Cancel. We cancel. And then thinking, and then to just circle all the way back to your question, and Kevin said some of this, so I'm going to just say the same thing Kevin said in Keith language. Um, in my own process of wrestling both theologically with what I believe and how I should show up in the world and what patterns of relationship bring the most life, my mentor used to always say to me, like, look for the fruits of the Spirit, right? So if you're trying to discern a, a vocational path or a relational path, like, is there joy? peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, then you know God is in it. So if you're discerning what is God's path for you as, a, as 
how you embody your identity or relationships or careers or whatever, I think, like, look materially and emotionally at the fruits. Mm. Like Kevin said, you'll, you might experience bad fruit like shame. And that is a big indicator. Mm-hmm. But if you start experiencing patience and faithfulness and gentleness, well, that is a sign that spirit is in it and generating something new. Well, well. Against such there is no law. Oh. <laughs> there you go. When, when Keith goes to preach and I get excited. Um, <laughs> In order to honor your time, we are going to wrap up this time, but know that each of the folks up here, I believe, would be really, really willing to begin an ongoing conversation. Don't feel like this is a one and done, <laughs> a hit it and quit it type of scenario, you know what I'm saying? Um, so, please grab folks, ask them, you know, to. What did you say? You got Can I do a closing couplet? Please do a closing oh, couplet. Yes, I'll do a closing couplet poem from Rumi, since we're talking about love. Rumi says, a thousand half-loves must be forsaken to bring one whole heart home. Amen and good night. On that note. the Rumi. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m.-ish. We are at 486 Park Ave in Southeast Atlanta, across the street from Grant Park, at the corner of Park Ave and Sydney Street. To find out more about us or get in touch, visit our website at parkavebaptist.com. Now go into the world that is too often unjust. Knowing that the God who created you loves you and empowers you. To love boldly. Live inclusively. And to serve creatively. Amen. Amen.